Good to see you tonight. Thanks for coming. I know you're busy, but uh, it's wonderful to come to church on Sunday night. Praise the Lord. Uh, you're hungry. So there's something about hungering and thirsting. He said you'd be filled. Isn't that wonderful? He's watching over that to perform it. So the degree that we're hungry, you know, he'll, he, you can be teaching on tithing. You can be teaching on leadership and he'll, he'll get things to you that you need about certain other areas of your life. So even as we get into end times again, uh, he'll strengthen you. He'll encourage you. And man, I just have such an unction uh, about miracles when you sing those songs about how nothing's impossible with him. Uh, we, we may not have seen what they saw in the 50s, you know, A.A. Allen, maybe William Branham, those different guys. But that doesn't mean that God's any different. In fact, a meeting I was in in Tucson, I was talking about the baby that was in that meeting in Birmingham, Alabama, had no arms, no legs, had no eyes, had no nose, had a little hole, had a little hole for a mouth. It was A.A. Allen's meeting. This is 1950, tent meeting, 10,000 people there. A lady from uh, Tennessee had come down and brought her baby there and was hammering Brother Shambach uh, to get her baby prayed for. And he said, well, when your number's called out, because they passed out cards back then, he said, when your card's passed out, I'll make sure, you, you know, if it's not passed out, we'll figure out a way to get you down there. Well, the whole week had passed. She'd been hammering Brother Shambach all week, you know. And they were showtime, go time. Brother Shambach would introduce Brother Allen. Folks, tonight under the big tent, we've got Brother Allen. The power of God's going to be all over him, every single one of you. I mean, it was so 1950s type. So, uh, so this lady, uh, she had really... Uh, pressed in to come there. And Alan, the beginning of his service, he's teaching about 20, 30 minutes into the meeting. And he goes, wait a minute, I see, uh, I'm in an OB ward in Tennessee. I see these doctors looking over this baby. And they said, you know, the baby said, uh, the doctor said the baby can't live. He said, actually, the baby's alive. He said, I see you coming over the Tennessee-Alabama border uh, bringing that baby. He said, in fact, that baby's here tonight. And boy, Shambach's ears started perking up because that was this baby. And the lady had been hammering him all week. Well, they brought the baby down. And Brother Shambach, I'd done a couple meetings with him. So I asked him all about to tell me the whole thing. He said, it, he said I, was, I normally close my eyes when I pray. But he said, I wasn't going to miss that. He said, it sounded like cordwood. Snap, snap, snap. That little, little arms grew out on that baby. Legs grew out on that baby. Little swirls came on its eyes. The baby was recreated right there in front of everybody. I mean, how cool to see the works of Satan stop just like that. So the baby's instantly healed, and everybody's freaking out over that because there's 10,000 people glorifying God. Next thing you know, they looked over to the side. The whole stretcher section was instantly healed when everybody looked at him. Everybody just knew to turn and look. Everyone up, three or 400 people got up off their stretchers, so they're rejoicing over the baby, rejoicing over the stretcher people. All of a sudden, they turned around, and there was a busload of blind people that were late, that couldn't find the tent. And, you know, I'm sure the driver was not blind. Come on. So the baby gets healed. The stretcher section gets healed. They turned around, and every single blind person off that bus, when they came in the tent, their eyes were open. So, see, we, we haven't really been around that. But I was saying that in a church in Tucson, and I said, you know, God's getting ready to show us reality. And this was in 1990. I said, the biggest TV shows are going to be reality TV. And everybody's like, what are you talking about? I said, what's the most popular reality TV show on right now? And a man yelled out. There's 2,000 people there. And this man yelled out, Baywatch. I said, Baywatch is not reality TV, man. What's wrong with you? So... Uh, so I, so I was talking about those miracles, and this man comes up to me in the foyer after the service. He goes, hey, I'm A.A. Allen's son. I said, well, I'm Billy Graham. Nice to meet you. Because I'm used to people playing jokes on me because I, I play so many jokes on people that I started reaping so much. So I thought, well, he's just messing with me. He goes, no, no, I'm A.A. Allen's son. I forgot Allen had moved to Miracle Valley right out beside where Tucson is. He goes, those miracles were great for my dad's day. He said, but I see a day when believers are functioning like those few did in the 50s. And that's you. You've been raised up for it. So uh, nothing's too hard for him. Nothing's too hard for him. Hallelujah. Nothing's too hard for him. I saw two ladies in Germany uh, had AIDS get healed in the same service. Went back to the doctor. The doctor goes, what would you do? They said, we went to a crazy church service. 
I mean, how cool is that? Healed of AIDS. I saw a man that had a, a severed spinal cord in Milford, Michigan on a respirator breathing machine. in a car wreck. Prayed for him. Nothing happened. <laughs> I said, no, no, we believe, we receive, we pray. Thank God, let's rejoice like he just got healed. And the devil was messing with me as we went out to the car. I watched him load that man up in his van. You know, he's on the respirator the whole time, keeping him alive. Next thing you know, the power of God came down on him while he was at home. Uh, he got up out of the thing, instantly healed. His wife freaked out. He walked right past his wife, went out and raked his yard because he'd been saying in his heart, when I'm healed, I'm going to go out and rake the yard. We came back to service that night and there was commotion everywhere. I, I didn't really know what was going on. There he is there in the back. All his aunts and uncles came to the service that night and gave their life to the Lord. So uh, there's just, we, we, let's don't underestimate how radical the next few years can be. If we don't leave tomorrow, maybe we've got five years, ten years, three years, they can be filled with the glory of the Lord. What is the glory of the Lord? It's His goodness. So we get to see a display of His goodness and His kindness and His mercy. Hallelujah. So that's what He raised you up for. How cool is that? To be a carrier and, a, and, a, and, a, and an outshining and literally a conduit for the glory of the Lord. Hallelujah. Remember, turn over if you would in your Bibles. Well, I don't know where we're going to turn yet, so don't turn yet. I'm sorry. <laughs> Remember Moses when he was up talking to the Lord and he came down and was radiating, they had to put a blanket over him. They had to put a lampshade on him. I mean, think about that. They put a lampshade on him. He goes back in, talks to the Lord, takes the blanket off, comes back out. He's glowing so much, it freaked them out that they put a blanket over him. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians, that's no glory. That's, no, that's nothing in relation to what you have in Christ. I mean, how cool would it be that, you know, Pastor Tony has a bucket out there of Polaroids, uh, Ray-Bans or whatever, and said, what's that for? Well, midway through the service, he's going to start glowing. You want to have your glasses on. <laughs> what? Well, that's a, that, that'd be the New Testament version of that in the Old Testament. But see, it's real. Right now, you're a fire from the loins up and a fire from the loins down. That's what you really look like. So as we've come to these meetings, we're approaching the coming of the Lord. So this morning we got into the signs. How sweet of the Lord to have it overwhelming for us to go. You, know, you can't go, well, I just don't think we're that close. <laughs> Seriously? Uh, do you need therapy? I mean, what do you need? I mean, so once you get into all the signs, what do the signs tell us how close we are? Why would God want to do that? So we pick up the pace. And I've, I, I have a nationally known minister. If I told you his name, you'd know him. He says, you know, Joe, you, if you just preach on the coming of the Lord, you'll just get everybody's hopes up. I said, yes, that's right. It's called the hope that purifies you even as you're pure. So he wants you happy and hopeful. And that's what Paul talked about in Thessalonians. The whole teaching on the coming of the Lord is to make you happy and hopeful. Hallelujah. So he wants you happy. He wants you blessed. It's amazing how we've misunderstood sometimes the thought pattern of the Lord. He's just like your natural dad. Your, your natural dad wants you happy. He wants you, he wants you to enjoy your life. So we happen to come to the kingdom for such a time as this. So we got into all of it this morning. Got into the maybe 15 or 20 signs of the coming of the Lord. Talked about the second coming has so many signs. The rapture's signless. So tonight we're going to get into the rapture. But you know, you, you got things you can get into that, that push you to, to pick up the pace. As you see the finish line, you run faster. This is not an escape theology. It's a hustle theology. I mean, the two-minute warning in a football game is a good example. And also the last lap of a car race. The last lap of a car race, people are usually standing up. When the white flag goes out, people are screaming. I'm screaming at football games, especially in the last couple of minutes when I want my quarterback to be paying attention. So I'm, my wife goes, you're screaming at the TV. Yes, that's exactly right. Praise the Lord. <laughs> well, it just feels better. Praise, <laughs> praise the Lord. It feels good to thinking he might hear you when you want him to pay attention to the clock. Because this stuff is real. Stuff is real. I was on Mount Carmel one time in Israel looking down over the valley of Megiddo. And uh, all of a sudden I heard this jet spool up. And I thought, what in the world is this? Now I'm looking over where the Battle of Armageddon is going to be. 
That's when Napoleon said this is, could be the perfect site for a, a battle. He didn't even know it was where the greatest battle ever was going to be. was right there. Also, I heard a jet spool up. This F-16 shoots out of a hole in the ground. It comes right up over us. And my buddy, I told my buddy, I said, dude, I just saw that plane come out of a hole in the ground. He goes, you're crazy. I said, no, 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 I saw it come out of a hole in the ground. There's an underground runway. A couple minutes later, another F-16, you could hear the jet spool up, and that F-16 shot right out of the hole in the ground. I mean, Israel, this is all real. There's getting ready to be a battle there, and it's going to be the battle of the ages where Jesus is going to defeat the Antichrist right there on that spot. So you're watching everything in the world get ready for that, the setup for that seven-year period. Wow. Jesus, I said it this morning, Jesus called it birth pains or sorrows, and we would call it contractions. So uh, the earth's getting ready for labor. That's what we feel with pestilence, earthquakes. I mean, you think of what's the number one seismic activity place in, in the world right now? Oklahoma. Who would have ever thought that? No, I didn't come up with that. That's on the USA Today, front page of the USA Today last year. The number one seismic activity place in the world. Normally, we'd think it'd be the Ring of Fire in Malaysia, or you'd think maybe Iceland or Greenland. The Oklahoma in the United States of America. Where the wind comes sweeping down the plains? Hmm, where the earthquakes come sweeping down the plains? I mean, come on, that's crazy. So we have, we have all this stuff happening as a wake-up call for us that's just before the tribulation. So we're privileged and blessed to watch the setup for the coming of the Lord. Wow. Amen. How many glad you came tonight? Amen. How many glad you're here you're not in surgery? Come on. All right. Praise the Lord. Good to be in church. Let's pray, and we'll get right into the Word. Lord, we love you tonight. Thank you for everyone that came. Thank you for blessing them. Thank you for great strength for them. We thank you for boldness for every person in this room. Lord, we ask you for utterance for all of us to, to be God's mouthpieces in the earth. Every person in this room, Lord, use them. Use them to be a wake-up call for their neighbors, their neighborhood, this whole city and this region, that Jesus is alive, and he's about to come back to the planet. So, Lord, we honor you. We magnify you and glorify you. Thank you for Jesus, you being the same yesterday, today, and forever. We, we magnify you. We honor you for giving your life. We're in awe that you let yourself be beaten and broken for us. So help us, Father, walk in the full measure of what Jesus left us 2,000 years ago. We thank you for that, Father. We give you glory. We give you honor and praise in Jesus' wonderful name. And everybody said amen. Praise God. Go over there to Thessalonians and we'll start there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And you all know this and that's good. It's good to uh, remember what I said this morning about John Osteen. He said, you can tell when you've gotten a hold of a verse when you want to hear it over and over and over again. Is that right? Yes, that's right. So what happens is sometimes we get into repetition, but repetition is what causes a learning. You know, the Lord told me this one time, because I do an end of days update every Wednesday. I do about 10 minutes. I think the last one when I was here, I taped on Tuesday night with you. I do about 10 minutes of what's happening in, in uh, Israel. Because like stuff that happened last week and the week before, not one time is it in the news here. It's on Debka. It's on Jerusalem Post. It's on Heretz. It's a big deal about Israel firing, flying planes into Syria and blowing up munitions that are right in Damascus. And Isaiah 17 once says, Damascus will be removed from being a city. Well, the last couple of years, Israel's having to preemptively strike these missiles because they're getting more and more sophisticated and they can point them at Israel and shoot right where they want to shoot. So, I mean, this is happening. So, uh, I mean, think about that. I, the Lord said, I want you to do this update. I'm like, I don't want to do an update. And it's like, well, he wants everybody to know this stuff. So it's weird how he wants us to know. Remember, he rebuked the Pharisees often, never rebuked the crowd, but one time, one time only. What was the one time he rebuked the crowd? He says, you can tell what the weather's going to be, but you don't know your hour, your visitation. So he wants us to know this. 
So you think of the tribe of Issachar in the Old Testament. They had an understanding of the times to know what the children of Israel ought to do. So he wants us to understand why. If you know how close you are, you hustle. Amen. If you're running late for an appointment, you look at your watch and go, I'm running late. i got to, I got to pick up the pace. So we look at Israel. And Jesus said, look at the fig tree. Because I would have said, look at the church. When you see the church waking up, ready to do everything. But he didn't say that. He said, look at Israel. Israel will be your timepiece. Because if you looked at the church, you might think the Lord can never come back. Because we kind of have a tendency to look at the flesh and we judge ourselves by the flesh. And Romans says, hey, if you're going to be led by your senses, you'll feel like you never qualify. Thank God tonight we're not led by our senses. We're led by the book. Amen. So the book tells us he's coming back. And just before the second coming of the Lord, we're going to be raptured and going to be caught up. So that's what we'll get into tonight. So buzz over there to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Remember Paul uh, writing to the church at Thessalonica. This is the very first letter that he wrote to the church. What was the theme? Coming of the Lord. The whole purpose of the book was they thought they were in the tribulation because Nero was taking Christians, dunking them in oil and setting them up for nightlights. So they thought, well, man, this has to be the Antichrist. This has to be the tribulation. And Paul was real big about, hey, don't worry. The, the, the Antichrist can't even come on the scene until you depart. There's a departure. That you're withholding him because you have so much authority. And that's why the church is going to be taken off the earth, because we have so much authority. And we'll get to it by the end of the service, how God owes Israel seven years of old covenant time. It's for the Jews, it's for Israel, not for the church. We have a tendency to want to make everything about the church. There's just different groups. We're going to do our part, going to have a great harvest. James promises us double portion of what the book of Acts had. So we're blessed and get to have that, but we're absolutely going to get ready to hand off to the Jews. God's going to raise up 144,000 Jewish evangelists, and their harvest is innumerable, the Bible says. And at the second coming, you can see how much their harvest is. One's taken and one's left. 50% of the earth will have gotten saved, or 50% of what's really left through the tribulation will have gotten saved. I was preaching on this in Australia, and Patsy, the lady that runs the Bible school, she said, man, she wanted me to teach on the tribulation, and so I got into a little bit more detail. And she said, man, that's like hell on earth. At least it's better than going to hell forever. I mean, it's just a bad time coming for the earth. Sobering, horrible time. But really, it's because people are so hard-headed, uh, they have to be pushed into making a decision. And I told you before, in high school when I was dating girls, I had a certain spot I would pull over, and every single spot, every time, I would get in the trunk of my car, and I'd shoot fireworks out from my car. So I could say, hey, you didn't, can't say you didn't go out with me and didn't see fireworks. <laughs> I didn't do it once. I did it many times. <laughs> Amen. And it's the truth. So God's about to show the earth some fireworks. Seven years of fireworks. I mean, we, the, 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 you can't say that and you don't know what's going on. People are going to be something's up. So we're privileged to be a voice just before that tribulation period. Now I want to say this because I'm trying to get to the rapture. We'll get right there in just a second. In the Old Covenant, God raised up prophets to pull Israel back. Elijah was raised up to bring Israel back because the priests weren't doing what they were called to do. So they would do radical things like call down fire from heaven and lick up the sacrifice. It brought Israel back to doing what they were called to do. In the New Testament, he didn't raise, thank God for prophets and apostles and evangelists and pastors and teachers. In the New Testament, he raised up the believer to be a voice. So you're supposed to be so filled with God that in 1 Corinthians 12, you know that you, were, you Gentiles were carried away under these dumb idols even as you were led. They were led by idols that couldn't speak. But God's speaking through the church right now. The king's coming back. Amen. So there should be an unction. There should be a strength. There should be a voice in all of our lives. It's not weird or strange. It's just God's coming back to the planet. There should be such a vocalness to that that it hits everyone's ears so they won't say, well, I had no idea. Well, they, obviously you do have an idea because the church is going to get so loud. 
Now, what a weird time to be on the planet right now, different than what I ever thought it would be, but that's all right. He raised you up to be bold and do the will of God right before He comes. So with that, go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and let's look at Paul, get into this stuff. He makes it so easy to understand. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, look at verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with Him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or precede them which are asleep. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, because of this, comfort one another with these words. So, so Paul's teaching this, that we're going to be taken off the earth. It should bring comfort to us so that we see we don't have to be here during the tribulation. Because he gets even clearer in the next chapter, God's not appointed you to wrath. So in other words, what we call the wrath of God during the tribulation, you're not appointed to that because Jesus took the wrath for you. Amen. So, and plus, the whole purpose of the tribulation, what's the purpose? Pressure on people to accept Jesus as their Messiah. I don't need to pressure be put on me because I've already accepted Him. The whole purpose of the tribulation is to force people into making a decision. Some people are hard-headed and they go, well, I'm going to wait till the very end. Well, you got missiles flying at you. you got water turning to blood. That's some things that would get your attention. I think I might need to make a decision. Praise the Lord. Well, thank God so many people will. Hallelujah. But here this event called the rapture of the church. I hear people go, well, rapture is not even in the Bible. Well, in the Greek, it's the word harpazo there. It means to be caught up. Really, the technical word for it is to be taken. Just like Elisha, the, the sons of the prophets said, don't you know your master is going to be taken from you today? It's the same word. Enoch was caught up. He was raptured. Elijah was raptured. He was taken. So it's the word harpazo, but in the Latin it's the word rapture, where the word rapture comes from. So it actually is in your Bible. So for people that get all freaked out about the rapture, not even in the Bible, Enoch was raptured. Elijah was raptured. Jesus was raptured. The church will be raptured. There's a mid-trib rapture. There's other raptures in the tribulation. So it's a, a thought pattern of God to pull people from the earth up to heaven just like that. Isn't that amazing that he's able to subdue even all things unto himself? He's so powerful that he says, come up hither, come up to the throne of God, and every one of our bodies are going to be recreated. How awesome is that? I mean, that's some, that's some power. I, I told you this morning, I told the Lord, get your flux capacitor ready, because I don't know how you're going to do this. You've got to change everybody's body just like that. But He's able to subdue even all things unto Himself. Amen. Wow, and all of a sudden, 1 Corinthians talks about this mortal has to put on immortality, the stain of Adam taken off us in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. At the last trump, the trumpet's going to sound, and we'll be raised up incorruptible. This, this corruption must put on incorruption. Hallelujah. And we're longing to be clothed upon with our, with our clothes which are from heaven. And that's that glorified body. Man, won't that be wonderful? Wow, we're going to rock it right up there. I don't, I don't know how the meet and greet works at the very beginning when we get there. But you know, I don't know what all's involved there. But then I know we go to the reward seat of Christ, marriage supper of the Lamb. And then horse flying school. Then we literally come right back to the earth with the Lord on white horses. So wonderful things ahead. Uh, nothing to be concerned about. Nothing but wonderful things ahead which is just absolutely cool that we're, we're there at that point. So, so the purpose of the rapture, obviously, is to take us out because uh, the Bible says that we're ambassadors for Christ. Even when it comes to military now, uh, Israel took out their ambassadors out of southern Turkey a couple of years ago because they thought war was about to break out. Who'd they take out first? The ambassadors. 
I like Lot. And when the angel came down there to get Lot out of Sodom and Gomorrah, what did the angel say to Lot? We can't do anything here until we get you out. So God's not going to judge the righteous with the unrighteous. And thank God He calls you the righteousness of God in Christ. Amen. So the righteous are going to be taken out. And I think people get weird about that. They say, well, if you're not in faith for the rapture, you're not going up. Really, the rapture is not about us. It's about Him. We try to make it about us. Am I holy enough or am I cool enough? You really can't earn your way into the rapture just like you can't earn your way into salvation. His blood gets you there. Thank God we're relying on that blood. And you can even dwell on this. When we get to heaven, you're going to see the throne. You're going to see the rainbow behind the Father. And you're going to see right in front of the Father, there's going to be a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. When sinners dip beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stain. Ooh, come on. The price that was paid for us... Amen. That's why it's called redemption. And that's what the big deal about the rapture is. He paid a price for you. He's coming back for you. Just like in the Jewish culture, when someone asks someone to marry them, a price is paid, a betrothal is paid, and the Lord paid for us 2,000 years ago. So He's going to come back for us. How cool is that? Amen. I said it this morning, I'm the right weight, but I'm not the right height. My weight is perfect. And if I was 6'4", everything would be right. Maybe 6'5". We'll see. But anyway, praise the Lord. Think about the, the, the whole thought pattern of your body being glorified. Wow. The, the force of nature, the force of gravity, the force of the law, the curse on the earth, superseding that in an atomic second. The shortest amount of time that can't be divided. Come on. That's how quickly he's going to change your body. Woo! He'll change our vile bodies into one like His. All right, so let's talk about this. Let's talk about it for a minute because we want to get, get into everything about the rapture. So we will. we're supposed to go to 9 o'clock and pizza will be here and then we'll go start again at 9.30 and we'll go all night. All right, so the main purpose of the rapture is you need a different body. Okay, why? Because you think of in the Old Testament, you, you hear a lot of teaching from Ezekiel or whatever. There, there's cherubim, there's seraphim, that two wings they cover their face, two wings cover their feet, and two wings they fly with. So you got creatures created to be at the throne of God that have eyes that go all the way around their head. They're like guarding the throne. And they circle the throne. What's their job? Holy. This is what they say night and day. Holy, 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 holy Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. The whole earth is full of His glory. So they're created to be at the throne, yet they have to shield themselves from His glory. So God's going to get us a body where we can walk right in and talk to Dad. Come on. Wouldn't it be weird to go and talk to Dad can't see for six months? That'd be kind of weird, wouldn't it? <laughs> So, you know, can you imagine? I just talk to the Lord. You're walking, walking around like this and it'll come back eventually. No. So we, so we have to get a different kind of body that doesn't have this flesh stain on it. Well, how do we tell what it's going to look like? I know we get into this when you, when you preach on it, but you, might, you always go back to the Word. Okay, what, what happened when Jesus was raised from the dead? Remember he was on the road to Emmaus? Don't you love that he kept himself for them recognizing him? How cool is that kind of stuff? I think that's the neatest thing ever. So he's walking along on the road to Emmaus after he's raised from the dead. The two disciples are walking along. And the first thing Jesus asked them, how come you guys are so sad? And they said, well, if you lived around here, they crucified my Lord. And you know, the Bible says they would have kept right on walking, but the Bible says they constrained him to stay for dinner. How cool. He sat down with them at dinner, and what did he do? He took them through the Word. He showed them Christ in the Old Testament. He's physically in their presence, and he takes them through the Word. I would have said, hello, look, losers, it's me. I told you I was going to be raised from the dead. But he's so sweet, he took them through the Word and gave them a, a resurrection teaching right there. And all of a sudden, he broke bread disappeared. 
And they said, did not our hearts burn within us the words that He spoke to us? His words are spirit in their life. They're so excited, they go back to the disciples. We saw Him, we ate with Him, we broke bread with Him, then He disappeared. They go, no, you didn't. Oh, you're crazy. Thomas goes, I don't believe that. He goes, in fact, I still don't believe it. I won't believe it until I see the holes in his hands. I see the hole in his side. I will not believe. Jesus walks right through the wall. Wow. He goes, Thomas, reach hither your hand, thrust it into my side. Be not faithless, but believing. Don't you love it? The Lord knows every word you say. He, what did Thomas say? My Lord and my God. Wow. Well, they kind of freaked out. He's a spirit because you would automatically think he's a spirit because he just walked through the wall. But this gives you an idea of what your glorified body will be like. He walks through the wall and he goes, no, no, I'm not, a, I'm not a spirit. Handle me. A spirit hath not flesh and bone as you see I have. So then the very first thing he said was, where's the meat? Do you have any meat? Where's the beef? He didn't say, do you have any kale? He didn't say, do you have any broccoli? Come on. He didn't say, do you have any salad? Notice, notice Jesus walks through the wall. You got any salad? No, he didn't say that. He said, where's the meat? So in your glorified body, you're going to be recognizable. You, you, can, you can be touched and you have an appetite. Because, man, the devil's taught people when we're raptured, we're just going to float around the room. No, you'll be more real then than you are now. You'll just be in a glorified body that can be handled. Yet can still, I don't know how this works, but go through the wall. We know how atoms work, so it's amazing. Uh, uh, an atom is a... Um, Oh, I don't want to, it's, it's not a solid. It's literally just a vibration until you view it. It, it turns into a solid when you observe it. Well, that's a whole other quantum physics class right there, but we won't even get into that. So, so it's a vibration or a sound until you observe it. That particle collider in Switzerland, you know what it's called? CERN? You ought to Google it. Guess what their, their, their logo is? Six. Six, six. They even have a disclaimer now on Google because everybody freaked out about This is where they're looking for the God particle. And their logo is 666. And you can change the, the, where the atom gets seen by where it's viewed. It turns into a solid. turns into something that's a, 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 a... I'm not even saying the word for it right. But that's how I guess all this works is when you need to go through the wall, those atoms are different. You're going to walk through the wall. How cool is that going to be? All I know is it's going to be every Marvel movie you've ever seen can't come close to what the reality is going to be like. Oh, come on. See, all that stuff is a type in trying to get to what we'll have in our own lives. Every movie you see where the hero comes in at the day and saves the day, uh, they get that from the Bible. Because Jesus is going to come back and stop war right there at the, at the Battle of Armageddon. Wow. So here we see Paul talking about this change coming, the rapture of the church. Let's look at the qualifications. Go back to verse 14. Let's always go back to the Word. Look at verse 14. He says, If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with Him. So here he gives you the prerequisite to get caught up in the raptures to be in Christ. So you don't have to be a, a weird believer. you just got to be in the body of Christ. Now, I'm not trying to tell you that to give you a license to sin, but it's pretty hard to lose your salvation. So why would you even flirt with the world when you're wanting to go up in the rapture? Amen? Come on. But it's not your works are going to make you perfect. It's His blood's going to make you perfect. I had a lady in Galveston. She walked up to me. She goes, how dare you say all the Christians are going up? I said, well, I'm just kind of going by what Paul talked about and what the Bible says. I'm not really bright enough to figure it out other than go by what the Bible says. And the Holy Spirit loves to magnify Jesus. You know what he said? He said, ask her, whose works would she rather trust in, her works or Jesus' works? Oh, come on, by ourselves. Our, our righteousness is filthy rags. But come on, I accepted his righteousness. He who knew no sin was made sin, that I might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. 
He didn't deserve sin. God made him sin. I didn't deserve righteousness. He made me righteous. That's why when you see the tongue where we were in Luke 21 this morning and you go to chapter, uh, verse 36, Jesus said to the Jewish boys there, pray that you might be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. Talking to Jewish boys there, they needed to pray to be accounted worthy because they weren't born again yet. Talking to the church, I don't have to pray to be accounted worthy, I'm righteous. Based on the verse I just quoted to you, He's already presented me holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in His sight. Let me say that again. He's already presented you holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in His sight. So are you going to believe the flesh or are you going to believe what Jesus did for you? Oh, come on, my friend, there comes a time where you better put what His works are way ahead of everything else because He presented you holy, unblameable, and unreprovable. Now, the devil hates that because he's the accuser of the brethren. He's going to go, you just don't measure up. And you go, well, let's just talk about the blood for a minute. You start saying it is written, you start saying it is written, he'll shut up. He can't handle it because he's a loser, amen? Idiot, moron. I can't, I can't wait for him to get put in that pit. I'm going to go by and sing to him. How you doing, pit dweller? And I might even get a little violin, and I can't play the violin. I'm going to give him a few songs off my greatest hits album. Here we go, amen. All right, so see, the qualifications are what? In Christ. How cool is that? In the body of Christ, Jesus is going to come back and get His body. Wow. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. So he says, comfort one another. Then go back to chapter 5, and let's get into a little bit more. We'll get into some timing here in a second. But what a cool thing, and then we'll get into the rapture practice. Look at chapter 5, verse 1. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, I have no need that I write to you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Now watch him differentiate between the church and the world. Watch this. For when they, the world, shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction, watch this, comes upon them, not the church, as travail upon a woman with child. They, the world, shall not escape. Now here he talks about the church. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. Wow. You are the children of the light. You are the children of the day. You're not of the night nor of darkness. Now, I personally believe with, with this, and we'll get into it here in a minute, is you'll know right before the rapture. Just like you, how many of you knew when your wedding day was going to be? Did it catch you by surprise? Boom, I'm married. Whoa, hold on. No, there's, there's so much stuff that goes into a wedding. When my daughter got married in California, we had nine bridesmaids, and my daughter sent me all this stuff that I needed to get ready. I had never worked so hard in all my life. So it didn't just happen by accident. There was a save the date went out, another letter thing went out, and then we got all ready for this, and it was absolute work because it was an exciting thing to get married. Wow, we're about to be caught up. We're about to be with him. And you'll know ahead of time before the rapture. So let me give you some thought patterns about this because I love how you teach on end times. Thank God you guys all know this because so many churches never hear the right stuff about the coming of the Lord. They just don't. Because we know the verse and everybody knows it. Uh, when Jesus said of that day and that hour, no man knows. Okay, He was basically telling them the, when He was coming for them on Feast of Trumpets. Now let's just kick over that can for a minute. The Jews are going to know the exact date of the second coming. So it already kicks that verse out. Why will they know it? Because the, the Antichrist is going to mid-trib, present himself as God. They're going to know they have exactly 42 months. Read the Left Behind series. And the Left Behind series on the coming of the Lord, they know the exact day of the second coming. Because they can add 42 months from when the Antichrist comes into the temple and says, I'm God. Because they're smart. 
<laughs> Amen. So they can count down. He can't, 42 months is when this happened. We've got three and a half years. Isn't it something Jesus had three and a half years to do his ministry? The Antichrist will have three and a half years. What did Jesus do when about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil? What's the Antichrist trying to do? Tries to kill everybody. Kill, steal, and destroy. Man, isn't it wonderful that his days are numbered? And you know what? The devil doesn't even know his time is short right now. Let's just talk about that. He doesn't know that his time is short right now. He doesn't figure that out until midway through the trib. That's when he figures out that he has but a short time. That's how stupid he is. Even being able to hear people preach on end times, he still hadn't figured it out. If you're not bright enough, if you're, if you're that clueless that you think you're going to go against the Most High, you got some screws loose. Amen? Hallelujah. Now, I say that because, now don't get mad at me, when Jesus walked into town, the uh, demons started crying out, have you come to torment us before the time? Instant submission. They're submitting to Jesus before he opens his mouth. That's who you carry with you. Now, at the second coming, all, you talk about amazing, there's going to be an earthquake right there at the Mount of Olives. Jesus is going to come back and put his foot on the Mount of Olives. There'll be such an earthquake that a perfect cross is formed there. The temple will go up about a hundred and some odd feet. And then the water from the Dead Sea is going to come right by Jesus. And he's so filled with life, it'll go out and quicken all the waters in the earth because it gets near Jesus. Now, he's not near you. He's in you. You're a carrier of that. Hallelujah. Wow. All right, let's talk a little bit about timing because we need to get into some of these things about uh, the rapture of the church. So cool. You can't find the rapture in the Gospels because Jesus is fulfilling the law because the rapture was a mystery just like the church age. Remember when <laughs> Peter cut that guy's ear off in the Garden of Gethsemane? He was trying to cut his head off because they thought Jesus was going to set up his kingdom right there. They didn't know about a 2,000-year church age. So Paul comes in with this, this who we are in Christ, comes in with this mystery. You'll not all sleep, but you'll all be changed. They're like, what? We are talking about it earlier. Paul, Paul taught stuff that Peter said are hard to even be understood. Paul got it directly from Jesus' mouth that there's going to be a departure, there's going to be a rapture. Just absolutely amazing how cool God is to set it all up for us. So, but the only time that you see this is in John 14. Remember John 14? He said, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Listen to this. He said, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. What was that? That was a Jewish wedding proposal. How weird is that? Jesus turned to his disciples and said, Will you marry me? I'm sure they looked around like, Did he just propose to us? I mean, I'm sure it freaked him out because that was just bizarre. He just said, Will you marry me? Now in the Jewish culture, a man would ask a woman to marry him and they would be betrothed and the man would go back to his father's house. The father would oversee the building of a honeymoon suite and the bride would know almost to the day when he was going to come back. So I interviewed woman after woman after woman, all the trips I've taken to Israel, these tours. I would interview a Jewish lady. I'd go, hey, when you were getting ready to get married, would you know when he was going to come back for you? Because what would happen was the father would tell the son, your room is ready, and he would run back with a shout, and she's supposed to remain ready for that shout. And I'd tell the lady, I said, would you kind of know when he was coming? She goes, of course we would know. I go, how much ahead of time would you know? They said, between, with the farthest would be a day or two because we wouldn't want to spend $500 on perfume, and it's six more weeks. Why would we waste money to get ready and it's going to be longer? I said, how would you know? Word would come to us that the room is almost done. 
That's why when Jesus said of that hour, no man knows, he was telling them, I'm coming for you on Feast of Trumpets. It's a perfect picture of the rapture of the church. At the Feast of Trumpets, Jesus is going to have a shout from heaven, the voice of the archangel, and the devil's going to try to contend with the archangel just like he did with the body of Moses. The devil's going to go, hey, they're on my property. You know what the archangel's going to say? The Lord rebuke you. And all of a sudden, this shout from heaven is going to change every molecule in your body, and you're going to be completely evacuated from the planet instantaneously at the throne of God. Hallelujah. Well, I asked these ladies over and over again. This is how they said it to me. They said, said, said you mean people think that they won't know when He's going to come? I go, no, we've all been taught our whole life that you don't know when the rapture's going to be. They're like, no, you know within a day. And that's what the Feast of Trumpets is all about. When He said of that day and that hour no man knows, He was telling them, I'm coming for you on Feast of Trumpets. Why is that a big deal? The Feast of Trumpets is about a three-day period. It's on the 29.5th day of the month. It's on the new moon. So the Sanhedrin would send two witnesses out, tell us when the new moon is there, so they knew when it was the Feast of Trumpets. But you still didn't know if it was on the 29.5th or the 30th day until you saw the new moon. That's why when Jesus said that, there's about a two-day period when you can tell it's going to be. And actually, that starts tomorrow at 10 in the morning here. So I don't know about you, every year I'm like your pastor, Tony. This is what we talked about every year, I don't know, the last 30 years. Come Rosh Hashanah, come Feast of Trumpets, come to the, what's going to happen tomorrow. I'm giving the Lord a wave offering from exactly when it starts. I know when it starts in Israel, know when it starts in America. And man, I'm lifting up my head because my redemption is drawing nigh. Whether it's tomorrow or not, there's going to come a time where we're going to be assembled. I believe we'll know a little bit ahead of time. If it is tomorrow, I think tonight when you go to bed, you'll be going, Oh my God, I'm about to leave the planet. Hallelujah. Because I don't have that unction right now. I probably is not going to be tomorrow because you're going to know more ahead of time. Well, that makes you sad, I know. <laughs> I'm ready to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Come on. Isn't it going to be cool, though? But we're so soon. I'm telling you, I used to, I'd preach on this and go, man, it's years away. We're not years away. We're days away or months away from this event called the rapture of the church. How cool is that? Wow. Remember the old movies we'd see in the 70s and my mom would scare me so bad. They were all thief in the night. And my mom would go, the rapture's going to happen tonight. And that, you know, your mom gets that crazy look, the rapture's going to happen. I'm like, oh my God. You know, as a kid, rapture, what's that word? I just knew that he was coming back for us, you know. So how cool is it that God gives us some heads up and some information to see how close we are? Because if you can see all the signs of the second coming, back up about seven years, maybe eight years, and we're there, we're going to be caught up. How amazing is that? So let's talk about the timing for just a minute because we've got to get, get a little more to get into. Hang with me. Okay, we know how flawless Jesus fulfilled the feast. I mean, went to the cross on what? Feast of Passover. Remember, John said the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Isn't it amazing how he perfectly went to the cross on the Feast of Passover? What were the feasts for? They were dress rehearsals for the real. So that when you saw the real, you go, I've seen that. I've been know exactly what that is. Every type of Calvary in the Old Testament, people will listen to this. Remember when the serpents ate the, bit the people because they complained against Moses, against the Lord? And God said, put a serpent up on a pole, brass serpent on a pole. Every, listen, everyone that looks at it, they're healed, delivered, and forgiven. Looking at a photograph of Calvary, a type of Calvary, they had poison driven out of their body. That'd be like me having a photograph of Tiger Woods right here, and all of a sudden it makes me hit the ball like Tiger. In other words, I got the benefits of Tiger Woods by looking at a photograph. So Jesus is so cool. How sweet of Him to do this. He goes to the cross on Passover. He's buried on unleavened bread, the next feast. 
What was that? They took three pieces of bread, the middle piece, they folded it, they pierced it, and they broke it. He said, I am the bread of life, born in Bethlehem. What's that mean? Home of the bread. The Palestinians <laughs> moved their headquarters from Ramallah to Bethlehem just to try to give the Lord a hard time. <laughs> but they can't do it, can they? Praise the Lord. So you have him go to the cross on Passover, buried on unleavened bread. What's the next feast? First fruits. What happened on first fruits? He's raised from the dead. The first one born from the dead. Wow. Fifty days later, flawlessly, the Holy Spirit was poured out on what feast? Pentecost. Okay, what's the next feast on the calendar? Rosh Hashanah, Feast of Trumpets. It's a feast of gatherings. There's many things about the Feast of Trumpets that, that mean, number one, it's the beginning of a coronation of a king. You have a private ceremony and then you have a public ceremony. We're going to be raptured. We're going to go up to the private ceremony and right in front of our eyes, he's going to be presented to us as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The Bible says, and on his head are many crowns. Man, he's got so many crowns, you've got to wear a bunch of them all at once. I wonder how that's all going to work. Hallelujah. So, so how cool is that? I mean, we, 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 get to, we get to go do this and get to see this. So it's the beginning of a coronation of king. It's also the beginning of, of seven days of awe, mirroring the seven years of tribulation. There's so many things about it that show us that we're going to be caught up. So whether it's this year or next year or the next year, man, be ready for the fall of that year for Feast of Trumpets or Rosh Hashanah. And when it starts, your, most calendars will tell you when it starts in Israel. It says sundown in Israel on that day. Tomorrow, it's at sundown at 6 o'clock tomorrow in Israel. And that's about, what, 10 o'clock here, Central Time. I don't know about you, man, but in the morning, I'll be getting ready to go to the airport. And I'm going to be walking around the hotel room. Lord, I love you. I really love you. <laughs> I really, 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 really love you. <laughs> no, not like I can, earn my, I can earn my way, but I just want to remind him that I'm right here in this hotel in Omaha, Nebraska. So when the flux capacitor goes to going, I, I want to go up in that load, praise the Lord. You talk about amazing. Isn't the earth set up for this right now? Isn't it bizarre how everything is set up for a reset? Everything is set up for the Antichrist to come on the scene and go, hey, we're going to forgive your nation of your debt, but you've got to use our currency if you want to buy or sell anything. And man, it's, I've never seen it where it was flawlessly set up completely for this to happen. Wow. But let's go look at one more thing as we go, go, go to, we're going to go to Daniel 9 for just a minute. Before we go there, go to 1 Corinthians 3, and let's look at the most important thing we could probably talk about. And we don't, don't land on it very long, but we'll land there for a minute, and then we'll go to Daniel for a minute, then we'll close. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. This is probably the most important part, and we talked a little bit about it this morning, but just barely hit on it. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Right after the rapture, your very first appointment when you're in heaven is right here. It's going to give you a little bit of a glimpse into what your future is going to be like. So look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. In verse 6, Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 6, I have planted Apollos water, but God gave the increase. So neither is he that planteth anything, neither is he that waters. But God gives the increase. Because I hear people go, well, I'll, I'll be obedient if I could run the sound or if I could do this. In other words, almost like the grass is greener. In other words, I'll be really obedient if I could do this. No, it doesn't matter if you're planting or watering. We're all one. So then he goes on from there and says a little bit further. So neither is he that planteth anything, but neither is he that waters, but God gives the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. You all underline the word labor. Your rewards will be indicative of your labor. 
I don't like that word labor. But anyway, verse 9. For we are laborers together with God. You're God's husband or you're God's building. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder. I have laid the foundation and another build thereupon. But let every man take heed how he builds thereupon. So he's telling you how to pay attention to what foundation you're building on. Now what he's getting ready to talk about is your works. We know that we can't do enough cool works to earn our way to heaven because it's Jesus' blood. But this is talking about what's going to happen right after you're raptured. He's going to examine your life and he's going to check out your works. He's going to judge the motive of your heart. (laughs) Was it to be seen of men or was it because you love the Lord? So he's going to reward you according to your works. And well, the cool thing about this, if you did some things that were just to be seen of men, they're going to be toast right there. And he's going to give you gold, silver, and precious stones to adorn yourself with so that you can wear your faithfulness forever. So you'll be able to look at somebody. You'll see, you'll see uh, oh man, you'll see these guys that were blazed the trail over the years. Uh, Smith Wigglesworth, uh, John Wesley. And you'll look at them and go, check their robe out. Look at that. You won't be jealous. But you go, man, look at what they must have done. Come on. You'll rejoice with them. Just like in the military, when a general walks on an airplane, has those four stars there, I don't go, man, I wish I had four stars. I go, how cool is that? This guy must have been faithful. So let's read a little further. Watch what he says here for just a minute. This is the important part about the rapture. This is your next appointment. Verse 11, For other foundation can no man lay, which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Verse 12, Now if any man build on this foundation gold, silver, and precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble, every man's work, I like this, every man's work, every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work. Keep circling the word works there. He's just talking about works, 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 works. If any man's work abide which he built thereupon, he will receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he'll suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet as by fire. So you get the, the over and over and over and over again. He talks about your works. You want to make sure your works are not wood, hay, and stubble. Those are all above the ground. What people see you do, you probably won't get a reward for. You don't want the angels, all of a sudden we're right there after the rapture. We've met our family members that have gone home to be with the Lord. We've got to see them. We've had a meet and greet. All of a sudden we go to the reward seat of Christ. And all of a sudden the angels go, everybody better back up. Here we go. There's brother so-and-so. Ka-woof! And there's this huge bonfire. And people are going, did you see that fire? I've never seen fire like that in all my life. You don't want wood, hay, and stubble. You want gold, silver, and precious stones. You don't want people going, I ain't seen nothing like that ever. <laughs> Could you imagine that, that the angels are having to guard us from the bonfire? No, no, no. I want gold. What is gold? Gold's your devotional life. How much you tell the Lord you love Him? Not necessarily, my name's Jimmy, I'll take all you give me. What's silver? The Bible says the tongue of the just is choice silver. Your words either encourage or discourage. Make sure every word that comes out of your mouth lifts people up. And then the precious stones are what the priest would wear on his chest. He'd go into the presence of God for the people, not for himself. When you're praying for other people, you'll see it'll be eternal. Why am I saying all this? I said it this morning. Because he's going to clothe you with glory and honor right after this reward seat. It's cool that we have the Olympics this year. That word judgment seat of Christ is a mistranslation. It's the Greek word bema, B-E-M-A, means reward seat. Did you see anybody in the Olympics afraid to go get their gold, silver, or bronze? Oh my God, i got to go get up on the podium. Don't make me get up there. No, they're excited. We've taught this in a fear-based thought pattern that you're going to go to the judgment seat of Christ. No, He wants to reward you for what you've done for Him. 
and you're going to get up on that podium, all of a sudden the fire of God's going to hit your life and whatever you've done, done with the wrong motive is going to be burned up right there. What you've done for the right motive, all of a sudden you're going to have gold, silver, and precious stones and you'll adorn yourself with your faithfulness and you'll immediately give some to Jesus as a wedding present. And then after that, during the millennium, you'll see your robes that you'll be wearing. You'll be clothed with glory and honor. You'll have badges right here, contrasting stitches right here. Just like in the military, there'll be stitches right there that showed that you went to church on Sunday nights. People will look at your arm and go, you went to church on Sunday nights. Glory to God. They'll look at another thread right there and they're like, well, you was a soul winner. Look at another thread right there that you were so faithful that you would show up when nobody would show up. And every time they look at your arm, they'll see that. They'll know exactly what they all mean. Just like in the military, you carry your fruit right there on your chest. You just want to make sure during the millennium you're not in a Speedo bathing suit. You know, my dad, I mean, I think of my dad. My dad mocked God, cursed God his whole life. Man, my, my, our family tried to get him saved, you know, but he had a stroke and went into intensive care. The doctor said he's going to die right now. I walked right into intensive care. Dad, it's time for you to get saved. He gets saved right there and goes home to be with the Lord. So he did zero works. I'm going to be borrowing some robes for my dad, okay? <laughs> my dad would have the skimpiest little bathing suit on. I'm like, Dad, you, you need some robes, man. Come on. Think about that. Thank God he went to heaven. Thank God. Thank God he's never to be separated from God. But you want to have this life count for you. Mm. You're building for eternity right now. You're writing your resume for what you'll be doing. Amen. I don't want to be in the dunce class in heaven. Oh, come over here. Look, look there, brother. Someone's going, good to be here. I made it. No, I want to do something for the Lord right now. Even though it is a vapor, he's going to let you do something so that you can adorn yourself with, with your faithfulness for him. You say, well, that sounds like you're trying to get me to earn my way. No, I'm trying to get you to do something for the Lord that will be eternal. I'm quoting Paul. This, we didn't come up with this on our own. God came up with this. Remember, the Bible says he's coming back and he's going to kill everybody. No. He's coming back and His reward is with Him. He loves you. He wants to bless you. He wants to encourage you. Everything about Him is to lift you up. Amen. So grab your Bibles and remember, turn wherever you think I'll turn. We'll see if you're flowing. Anybody got it? Okay, let's go real quick. Daniel 9, real quick, real quick. Daniel 9. This is probably the coolest verses in the Bible and it's going to show you that you can't be here during the tribulation. We won't go but a couple more minutes, but can you hang with me just a little bit longer? I like what Bruce Back would always do. Can you give me five minutes? Uh, five, 10, 15, 20, 20. No, we won't, do, we won't do that. But look what he says here in Daniel 9. Hang with me. Because I have been in the meeting where the preacher didn't know Jesus had left the building, so I'm super conscious of time. No, no, I've been in the meeting where the preacher had no idea Jesus waved goodbye and left, and the preacher kept right on going. So I won't abuse your time, but let's, we're, we could be living the night before the rapture of the church. Could, could you imagine you'll probably have a little badge on your arm that you were in church the night before the rapture. <laughs> Look at Daniel chapter 9. This is so cool, and we'll get to the cool part here in just a minute. So the first part sounds a little boring, but it's not boring, so let's get it. It's very cool. It means something. Daniel 9, verse 1. In the first year of Darius, which was the son of whatever that was, was the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books... The number of years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolation of Jerusalem. So it's really going to mean something here. So he said, I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplication with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. So, so here Daniel's smart enough to go, okay, Israel got put in captivity for 70 years. So he goes back and finds out why. They were supposed to let the land rest every seven years. 
So think about it. They fudged, forget how long they fudged, or disobeyed. Out of that 490 years, they disobeyed for so long, uh, for 490 years. So they owed the land back 70 years. How crazy is that? That God's so precise that they, they, they disobeyed for 490 years. Remember Peter asked Jesus, how many times did I forgive somebody? 490 times. So missing it for 490 years, they owed the land back 70 years. So God let them go into captivity to pay the land back. Look how precise he is. Man, thank God we live in the dispensation of grace right now. Amen? So this is how flawless he is because of them missing it for 490 years. Look at verse 23. Daniel is going to get an, uh, uh, a teaching lesson from Gabriel. Look at verse 23. These are some of the coolest verses in the Bible. Daniel 9, verse 23. This is Gabriel talking to, to, to uh, uh, Daniel. Verse 23. At the beginning of thy supplication, the commandment came forth. I'm come to show you that you're greatly beloved. Therefore, understand the matter and consider the vision. So watch this. He says again, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon the holy city. 70 weeks is just another way of saying 70 segments of seven or 490 years. They missed it for 490 by planting when they weren't supposed to plant. They went into that six year and they did that for 490 years. So Gabriel goes, hey, guess what? You missed it for 490. God's given you guys another 490. But he's going to say something really specific here about those 490 years. Now, this, is going to, this will make sense to us. I know you know this, but let's go a little further. Watch what he says. Verse 24, it's for the people, the Jews, and the holy city of Jerusalem. It has nothing to do with the church. What's it for? To finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, and bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Now, here we go. These are the coolest verses right here. You ready? Know, therefore, and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem until the Messiah comes, I'm going to add the years up for you. He told him it was going to be 483 years. Okay? So, okay, Gabriel goes, okay, there's going to be a commandment to restore and build Jerusalem. Remember King Artaxerxes? He saw Nehemiah. Nehemiah was depressed because Jerusalem was overthrown. So Gabriel said, there's going to be a commandment to restore and build Jerusalem. So King Artaxerxes, we shall rebuild Jerusalem. Clock started. Gabriel said, when that commandment goes forth, till Jesus comes, it's going to be exactly 483 years. Well, God had given them 490. Okay? So you remember Jesus when he's on the earth, they ask him, Are you the Messiah? He said, well, You go tell them uh, uh, what people hear and see, the works that are happening. Remember, John the Baptist goes, Man, go ask him if he's the one, because I'm about to get my head cut off. And what did he, what did he tell him? Go, go tell him what you hear and what you see. He's the Messiah. So there came a time where he came riding into Jerusalem and they put those palm branches down. What did they say? Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They said, oh man, don't let them say that. You're admitting you're the, you're the Messiah. He said, if they didn't do it, the rocks would cry out. Because it was exactly 483 years from when that commandment came forth. Interesting. Got that? How many years did God give them? 490. Jesus came after 483 he owes them seven years of old covenant time. That's the seven-year tribulation. So he takes the church off the earth, repays them. It's called a time of Jacob's trouble, not the church's trouble. What's it for? The Jews and for the holy city. So the church departs and the earth goes back to seven years of old covenant time and they start having sacrifices. You have the Temple Mount Institute ready to have sacrifices. They're going to build up a makeshift temple. The moment we're caught up, all of a sudden they're going to figure out they can go in and start having sacrifices. 
There's a bunch of stuff about the Temple Mount that I don't talk about that you can basically see that actually where the Temple Mount is is not necessarily where the Holiest of Holies was. It's down the hill at the city of David. So they're off about 400 feet. So they're going to be able to start having sacrifices instantaneously without starting World War III, even though World War III is about to start anyway. <laughs> That's Iran getting ready to mess with Israel and Russia coming down on Israel and Turkey coming down on Israel. And the setup for that is right now. Iran's a few weeks away from nuclear weapons. Israel's going to have to preemptively strike them to stop that. Maybe they do it through cyberspace, who knows? But man, stuff's all set up for what's going to happen after we're raptured. So all this is flawless. God's going to remarry them. He moved them back to his land so he can court them. When Kali and I were dating, she lived in California. She grew up in Azusa. I lived in Tulsa, and we're dating by phone, man. I'm trying to convey text, you know. Your hair is beautiful, your eyes are beautiful. No, you can't convey emotion. So I moved her from California to Tulsa so we could court. God has moved Israel back to their land so he can court her. The church will be caught up. All of a sudden, the Jews, the Bible says, a spirit of supplication will come upon them. And you talk about a revival spirit. God's going to raise up 144,000 Jewish evangelists. They're going to go out and evangelize. We're going to be at the reward seat of Christ, marriage supper of the Lamb. We'll look over the banister and we'll go check that out. Look at all those nations getting the gospel, getting the gospel because these Jews know that their time is so short. Because, man, they're going to get it really quick and go, we got to hustle, we got to run. That Jewish buddy of mine that I've tried to get born again over and over and over again, I've, I mean, I've done everything. We have, the, we have these talks. He loves the Lord and loves miracles, but he doesn't think Jesus is the Messiah. And uh, he, he knows our doctrine. He goes, I know you guys are going to get raptured and God's going to hand off to us. I'm like, yeah, 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 wow. They know it. So there, there's people in position that their friends are all word of faith ministers. Now, Jesus has appeared to me several times, and every single time I bawl like a baby. You think you're going to say something cool, you know, I'm just, <laughs> I mean, supernaturally bawling. The only other time I've ever felt that is when I picked up this Jewish man in my car. I believe he's going to head up the 144,000. He's sitting in the back seat of my car while I'm driving. Tears are coming down my face, just like I was in the presence of a king. He's not even born again yet, but it had the same presence on him as God himself standing in front of me. When I had Jesus appear to me several times, every time I looked at him, I said, that's the origin of everything. Everything that you see came from him. It just hits you. The, 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 the eminence of that is he's God. And here this Jewish guy had the same presence on him, and he's not even saved yet. Why? He's going to get born again? <laughs> I told him, lay your hands on your own head and ask Jesus into your heart. Get yourself filled with the Spirit instantaneously. Start speaking in tongues, and you start rocking the gospel all over the seven-year period. Because the Bible says they're going to do it, man. They're going to do it. What a platform to preach on. I hope they say, where is the Lord God of the last day church? Like what did Elisha say? Where is the Lord God of Elijah? Took that mantle and parted the Jordan. I believe those Jews will, take, will start doing stuff in, in the name of the Lord. And they'll go, wow, just like the last day church taught us, we can walk with God. Man, so we've got a lot going on right here at the end of the church age. You're demonstrating for the Jews... You're being a voice for the earth, being a voice of righteousness, just like Noah was, wrapping up the church age. Man, you got a lot of hats you got to wear, but that's all right. You've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Wow, how wild. We're going to look back on this time being this close to the rapture. We're going to get to heaven and go, holy cow, why weren't we screaming more? 
Now, I, I got a, a fire pack out there on the book table. I think it, I don't, we only sent one. It already got bought. You know why it's called a fire pack? It's guaranteed to set you on fire. You know why? There's matches in there. So if the word doesn't get you, you can set yourself on fire. John Wesley said, let God set you on fire. People will come watch you burn. Let God set you on fire. People will come watch you burn. You don't have to advertise a fire. There's a pastor friend of mine in Kansas, Wichita, Kansas. His name's Jerry Burley. Sweet brother. Super humble. He's had the fire trucks come to his church twice to put the fire out. And it was the glory of God. Can you imagine firemen kicking in the door, hauling hoses in there? There's no fire here. It's the presence of God. Amen. This is reality. This is real. We're about to see him face to face. Man. And I don't know, we don't have the trampolines, but we could have rapture practice. Just know that you probably won't have to jump. You know the old songs, the, the graves will burst open. The graves aren't going to burst open. They're going to come right through their coffin, go right up and meet us in the air. But it is going to be one of the most interesting days probably ever for the history of the earth to have so many people disappear all at once. Piles of clothes everywhere. You, everybody craves a sign. The earth's about to get a sign. The church is going to disappear. Wow. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Come, Lord Jesus. Man, make, make, make every day count. Make sure you finish out with joy. I mean, if it's next year, make all this whole, this whole next year supernaturally filled with joy. Don't get frustrated. Don't get agitated. Don't let the devil mess with you. You use your authority. You take authority over and go, no, no, no. You cross the line. I evict you in Jesus' name. Just like if somebody tried to break in your house, you wouldn't go, oh, you okay? Would you like some water? No, you kick them out of your house. Don't let the devil mess with you. And, you know, I say that, and won't it be wonderful if all of a sudden we leave in the next couple of days? It could be any time during that period. So we got the next couple of days, man, be a... Giving the Lord a little bit of a wave offering. Praise the Lord. Let's practice for a minute before we go. Lord, we love you. We magnify you. We honor you. We give you a little bit of a wave offering right now. We, we're your children. We're here on Sunday night. We want to bless you, Jesus. Thank you for dying for us. We honor you, magnify you, glorify you. We magnify your goodness. We magnify your kindness. We lift you up in this room. Jesus, receive the honor that's due your name. We praise you, magnify you, and glorify you. Thank you for your kindness and your goodness. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You're so good. You're so good. Your mercy endures forever. You know, we'll be dismissed in just a second, but someone here, uh, the muscles inside your mouth are being healed. I don't even understand that. And I've just learned not to even figure it out. You're just healed in Jesus' name. You can tell me later what it is. I don't know what it is. The muscles inside your mouth. Amen. Thank you for that, Lord. Praise God. I had a word of knowledge one time in Terre Haute. I saw, uh, had a vision. I saw the gash on a tongue. I called it out. A little boy came down. He'd been playing with a snapping turtle, stuck his tongue out, and the turtle ripped his tongue wide open like that. Terre Haute, Indiana. Little girl had Coke bottle glasses. I prayed for her. Uh, uh, and she got healed, didn't have to wear glasses. Went and got all of her friends. She brought 20 some odd kids to the service that night. I went to Ramah. I went back to Tulsa. I lived there, and here she was going to Ramah. She goes, you remember me? I go, no. She's all grown up. She goes, I got my eyes sealed. I didn't have to wear Coke bottle glasses anymore. He just loves you. Yeah. Let's thank him one more time, and then we'll go. Father, we thank you. We appreciate everyone coming tonight. Lord, bless them. I pronounce blessing over them for taking the time to come. Hearing about the catching away of the saints, Lord, we worship you tonight, Father. We have such anticipation that we get to be with you, Father, to get to see your kingdom, get to see your throne, get to see your glory. 
Help us have a glimpse of your glory before we get there so we'd be ready. Father, we, we honor you, magnify you, and love you. Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And Father, I pray for this congregation. I, I pray for faith family. I thank you for a season of such boldness. I, I ask you to amplify their voice in this region, Lord. We thank you for it. Thank you for divine favor for this church, Lord, in this area, Lord, that people would be drawn to hear the word of God that Jesus could be glorified. We thank you for it. We thank you for divine assistance, angelic assistance even in this hour for this church and for everybody in it, Lord. We thank you for it. We thank you that we use uh, that which is ours. <laughs> Hallelujah. We thank you for it, Father. Thank you for the angels that have charge over every person in this room. Uh, they'll, they'll not dash their foot against the stone, but you'll, you'll keep them in all of their ways. We thank you for it, Father. Thank you for it, Father. We give you glory, give you honor, and give you praise. Jesus' name, amen, amen. I think there's wonderful things ahead. If we got another year, I would be expecting the most ballistic year of your life. If we got two or three years, the most ballistic years of your life. If we go tomorrow or the next day, I'll see you in heaven. Hallelujah. Amen. Glory to God. How cool is that going to be? Hey, thank you guys for coming tonight. I know you're super busy. I look forward to seeing you again, either here or up there. It's weird to even say that. This is the first year I've ever taught on this and thought I could literally be leaving the next day or so. So exciting. Man, hallelujah. Amen. Thank you, thank you, thank you for coming.